0: this is april hansen the associate editor for arkansas catholic and you are listening to arkansas catholic asks a podcast where we interview our newsmakers in the church about what matters most to you this podcast is in conjunction with our special section on addiction in our arkansas catholic newspapers march 28th edition where we share people's stories of addiction to drugs alcohol and pornography their road to hope and what resources are available We also talk about the nuts and bolts of what an addiction truly is and the science behind it. But today I feel privileged to speak with Susa Thompson, a member of Our Lady of the Holy Souls Church in Little Rock and mother of five, whose husband struggled with alcoholism and died in 2013. So we're going to discuss her story, how she got out, and how her faith played a role in the support of Al-Anon, which is a worldwide support group for families and friends of alcoholics, and the connection between an addiction and domestic violence. And we'll also talk about how addictive relationships work. So Susa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Well, I know this is a hard topic um, to delve into, and I really want to start off kind of on a light note. You know, we typically start our podcast off with an icebreaker question, and especially for those who don't know you, um, your name, Susa, (laughs) which is spelled S-U-S-E-J, is pretty unique. So tell us how your parents came up (laughs) with it.
1: Well, um, I had to develop some uh, defense mechanisms as a child, so I used to tell everyone that my dad was a religious dyslexic, Um, but... (laughs) Uh, His story is that um, this was before everybody had ultrasounds, you know, pretty uh, readily available. Um, And they had had two sons, and the whole church was praying that I would be a girl. And I was. And so he said he decided to name me after Jesus, and that's really all there is to that. I also say that we're kind of word nerds, crossword puzzlers and word (laughs) scramblers and things like that. Um, And so it's kind of just morphed into my ministry, my blog's Jesus Backwards. (laughs) uh... on wordpress and uh... Because everybody would go, oh, it's that Jesus backwards lady. So it, it stuck. You know, I think that he labeled me on purpose, and mm-hmm. and I ended up working for the church. So it's been really fun. I've, I get called all kinds of crazy stuff, sausage, sewage, you name it as a kid. So I'm, I'm ready oh to make a, a funny version of your name as well if you need one. So Yeah,
0: absolutely. Oh, my goodness. You know, and it took me a while once I actually um, first talked to you. It, I didn't realize it was Jesus spelled yeah. backwards, which is
1: interesting. Do you, people kind of— Rarely. Yeah, rarely yeah. somebody goes, oh, that's Jesus. Spelled backwards, and I'm like, oh wow, you got it. Okay, but <laughs> oh hardly goodness. ever. They're just—it's just Sousa. Yeah. So anyway. I love that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I want to obviously, you know, that was kind of a lighter note, but I do want to get right into, um, you know, what we're here to talk about today. Um, so I want to go ahead and um, just briefly tell us about your experience in living with someone with alcoholism.
1: Well, um, I had addiction in my generations um which kind of inspired me to say at the start of this whether or not you've actually had chemical substance abuse in your families there can just be such a level of dysfunction in families that people develop the type of woundedness that causes them to either be a person who is addicted to people and people and people pleasing which is kind of my codependency that's how i explain it the best or people who medicate themselves in many different ways to soothe the wounds or traumas or things within them. So I'll say that on my journey, that somewhere in my childhood, I just really had developed this incredible sense of unworthiness that I didn't deserve anything. If people knew how I really was, they wouldn't like me. Um, And that I just wasn't good enough. And that was sort of the reason for everything I did that was unhealthy. I was kind of addicted to Um, being in relationships and pleasing people, and that's no way to live. And because of that, um, when I got married, although I was really excited about it being to someone who had never even had any alcohol in in his life, he ended up developing a drinking problem within the first few years of our marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... uh, You know, we were fairly young, but by 22, he had already been kind of closet drinking for about a year. And I just didn't know. I knew at one point I felt like something was wrong. Um, And so, um, you know, my first steps were to address the issue, to lay out expectations on how we're going to, you know, I I wanted to be married and, and take good care of our children And in hindsight, I know that I didn't really understand, even having had people in my life as a child who struggled with addiction, Mm -hmm. I still didn't understand how that had truly affected me. and what it really meant for somebody to have a drinking problem, you know, because part of codependency is that you, th- you see the best in everybody. You yeah. want to see it. You see your love for them sometimes instead of their love for you or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we discussed it. We've, I felt like we dealt with it. Um, and he continued to be a social drinker. That's what I thought at the time mm-hmm. in yeah. my young adult years. <laughs> and and just for
0: context, real quick, yes. how old are you? My I'm
1: 43 now. Okay. Thank okay. you for telling the world I'm 43. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, t- I'm sorry. I had to throw nope, that out nope. there. I'm cool. It's cool. I'm proud of where I am in life right now in many ways. Um, the Proverbs 31 says that that she looks at the years to come and laugh. So thank you. Um, but yeah, so... You know, I didn't know that all of this behind-the-scenes drinking was going on all the time. And it was several years before I realized that it was a problem. Um, and when, it, when I found out that it truly was a problem, by that point, I've got five little kids who were all born within eight years. And because of my background and my woundedness, you know, I just felt like there was nothing worse that could happen to children than, than divorce and for them to not have a parent around Uh, Since then, I've learned the worst thing is to keep them in a toxic situation where then they learn to become toxic themselves. Absolutely. Or they learn how to tolerate toxicity in their lives. And so, um, you know, we struggled with that for several years, kind of getting into the dark parts. Um, It affects your brain so terribly. I mean, it is is literally brain damage. You are pickling your brain. Mm -hmm. And there is a point where you really can't return from that without massive intervention. And so... Um My part of that story, you know, I'll say that I became incredibly close to God during those years, yeah. the suffering in my life, although, you know, I was the girl with the biggest smile and I was working in ministry and I was, you know, being joyful and and leading people to the Lord and being led to the Lord by those people and just had this beautiful aspect that was a great outlet for me. And I love being a mom. Um, there's just that pain that you carry watching this person deteriorate. And you know, you just feel like I gotta hold this together. I gotta hold this together. I've got to make this work. It's gonna get better. So and, you put a lot on yourself. Oh, it's a, there's a tremendous amount, and and when you're living with an addict, you have no safe space. I I live to create space, safe space for my children, but there wasn't really any for me. So that's where my faith came in. I mean, I would lay in bed at night, and hear scriptures about Jesus, like the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: just lay there in the bed with him, knowing. You know, that I wasn't alone, but still not knowing how to get out of this. Yeah. And unfortunately, <clears throat> um, I really didn't take the steps to do that fully until there was just no other choice. Uh, one of my favorite um, recovery principles um, says that I will voluntarily submit to every change that God wants to make in my life. Mm. And unfortunately, I'll just speak for me. Yeah. <laughs> We make I and me statements, not you yeah. or we. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I didn't do that till I had no other choice. My life had fallen apart. And we'll become involuntarily submitted to the circumstances if we don't do it voluntarily. And I just remember praying for a miracle. And, and I hear that all the time. Women are praying for miracles. I get contacted by women all the time. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes you're the miracle. Yeah. Sometimes the choices you make are what's going to put change into action um, but I just remember praying for a miracle and within like two weeks, um, he ended up in the hospital, uh, in 2007 and what we thought was just, you know, a case of alcoholic hepatitis that would kind of peak and get worse and then it get better and you just can't ever drink again, which of course, you know, I believed he was never going to do that again. Right, right. Um, it turned into a life or death situation and he was given three weeks to live in the spring of that year. Um, and man, God was with us every step of the way. I mean, mm-hmm. people came from all over. I'd been in ministry for years, and they surrounded us with the with the body of Christ. And I remember walking through the hospitals. I mean, it, I'd never seen that kind of suffering in my life. Watching him die slowly for like six years. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I remember thinking, I need to go to adoration. I just need to go to adoration so badly. Mm-hmm. And I turned the corner. And a wonderful man from Christ the King was standing there. And I thought, oh, I know him. I know him. And he, uh, I, I said hi to him. And he said, I'm looking for this person. And he pulls a piece of paper out of his pocket and it has my name on it.
0: And oh, wow. he said, I
1: brought Jesus to you. And I said, I was just standing around the corner praying that I could go to adoration. And he brought Jesus in the room with us. And we adored Jesus. And I mean, we've seen miracles, dreams. Um, just incredible love was poured over our family for a very long time, and continues to be to this day. Um, but during that time, I had to accept my part. Not that it's my fault, and we don't say things are my fault. We don't live in shoulda, coulda, wouldas in recovery programs. But I had to understand, and during that time, the brokenness allowed me to see why I had. Allowed This situation to be in my life. Why didn't other people put up with this? Why did other people have better lives? And I realized <clears throat> that it was through my own codependency that I was even willing to participate in that at all. You know, and, and some of it didn't develop till I had children, and and I just didn't have a healthy view of life yet. So I just remember this, you know, transformative moment of sitting in my friend's office in the back of the emergency room one day, having been told he was never going to work again, you'll be fortunate if he survives this. This was like our second admit. And um, just sitting there and thinking like, God, how did I get here? I know how he got here. It was well, very obvious. He was just a very broken man. Um, And he would do anything to comfort that pain, to try to get rid of it. Um, Anything but good stuff, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because, you know, there's a point, and I can laugh about it now, and it's okay. I tell the story all the time, and I'm honored, to, because so many people go through it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had to deal with myself, and so I actually began um, going to Celebrate Recovery, um, which is a Christ-centered recovery program, which works on the 12 steps um, from AA, and then it also uh, works on recovery principles from Scripture, But eventually that led me into getting into Al-Anon, and Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that I did both because I needed the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. but I also um, needed—in Al-Anon and AA, um, it's open to everyone, and so you kind of—you get new experiences outside of your norm. Mm -hmm. Um, You get to have interactions um, with people that really teach you about— the science like you said behind addiction and addictive relationships and things like that so i i I, both are incredibly important um but in al-anon and aa there's just these universal truths Mm -hmm. i I think it's so important that you don't over or under spiritualize anything when it comes to addiction Mm -hmm. Um, and so i needed both of those things one of my friends one time said each gift gets me halfway up the mountain i just need Mm -hmm. both and so i began to work a program Um, I had a sponsor in each program. Um, You know, I was a desperate woman. I would have done anything. And I did. I went through step studies, which is where you don't just attend meetings, but you actually work through the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. And you don't, you know, I realized that I wasn't going there for him. I was going there to get better for me.
0: And I do think that a lot of people tend to think, oh, I need to get, you know, my loved one into, you know, a program into that. Yes. So I don't, I think they kind of forget about themselves. Is that accurate? In oh, terms absolutely. Terms of like Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And, and I think. Many of us who, I think the correlation is that many of us who are in addictive relationships are codependent. Mm -hmm. That means I'm a people addict. I'm a fixer. Um, You know, I sometimes, I put myself behind the needs of other people and all addictions are terminal at some point. You mm-hmm. know, you could have health issues from that. I used to think I had migraines. I had headache medicine everywhere in my life. Yeah. And that went away later <laughs> <laughs> when I got in different surroundings. And that's a very difficult process, but we have to we have to first deal with ourselves mm-hmm. and what what it is in us that needs to be healed, what it is in us that opened us up to this experience and made us feel like I can fix this person because that's really what it is. Yeah. It's a it's a control issue. I think they I used to say I think they called this codependency because nobody would come to meetings for controlling people. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And while we mean well, it is control. And in both Al Anon and Alcoholics Anonymous, step one is just to realize that I'm not God. You know, I can't I don't have control over my own life sometimes. I don't have control over anybody else's life but my own. And it says to realize that I have a tendency to do the wrong thing and my life has become unmanageable. And so the first thing we have to do is to try to get out of the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. And I had wonderful women surrounding me that helped me get through that process. But there were a lot of very difficult decisions to be made. You can't just read about this. You can't just pray about this. You have to make the actual change in your life. And that's very difficult.
0: And I think for people of faith in particular, it is very hard Um it, it Thinking, you know, I can just pray this away or I can, you know, and obviously you are a person of great faith and obviously been through this process. So why, why do people, why is it important that they take those steps to get, you know, either um, go into like Al-Anon
1: or treatment for themselves? Well, number one, uh, you've heard the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. It is insanity to participate in someone else's addiction, regardless of what your situation is with that person. It doesn't matter. Um, It's just a sick world that they live in. And as long as we keep participating in that, there's a lot that comes with that. Um, And there's games that get played. There's control. There can be the potential for abuse. And um, I get contacted by people regularly, by addicts, by mothers and fathers of addicts, and especially women who either have a spouse or a child who is struggling with addiction. Mm -hmm. And for some of us, there are actual safety issues because the mind of a person who's struggling with addiction gets so dark. And at some point, some of them can become violent. If they don't become violent, sometimes their abuse can be um, emotional. It can be spiritual. Um, it can be just mental abuse, game playing, gaslighting. I mean, and and if you have an addict, you know, there are some that are incredibly depressive in their tendencies and there are some that are incredibly dominating, narcissistic and it gets to be a very, very sick world. You can't pray that away. You know, yeah, I'm sorry. Somebody out there just said, my God can do anything. <laughs> And you know what? God does stuff through us, and God gives us free will. And sometimes God really wants you to pray and get yourself out of the situation. Get your kids in safe space. Restructure your life. And that may be at at an incredible cost. And that's one of the reasons people don't get help. Mm -hmm. Um, People who are struggling with addicts, sometimes they just want to maintain this situation, because there might be a financial loss, there might be a physical danger, um, there might be um, a lot of emotional pain to go through for you or your children or your family members or whoever's involved in this situation. But later, when you get through that process, you'll you'll understand that it was worth your freedom and what you once were ashamed of. You know now. It's a victory for you and that's why I'm not ashamed to talk about it. Used to you could, you know, you couldn't find people to talk to about these kind of problems. Now you might work with 10 people and 8 of them have an addict in their immediate family. Mm-hmm. And that's coming from experience for me in the past like realizing once you talk about this, when I go out to retreats and talk, if I say the word addiction, Young people will talk to me about it for the rest of the afternoon, and it's a little dark secret they come to tell you because they're all alone, but they don't real, we don't realize how many people there are around us who are struggling with many types of addiction. And of course, uh, the qualifier, that's what we call the addicts in our lives, my qualifier, my husband, he had many other addictions that I didn't even, some of which I didn't even know about until after he had died. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I want to talk to you about, um, cause you had mentioned about when you go to retreats and everything mm-hmm. and people come and talk to you. Do you think that the church, um, does a good job at the moment in terms of, you know, ministering to people with addictions or what can the church do better?
1: Well, <laughs> I think part of it, um, I don't think people are doing anything wrong. I think sometimes I think we could be doing more always. I think we could do more, um, I think rarely does anybody just do anything wrong, but they may just not know or have that experience. And and some of the holiest people you know that you could go get help for it doesn't necessarily mean that they've had these kinds of experiences to help you with. Um, and I think part of this is the nature of being Catholic too. When we go to our masses, that may be the only the only point of contact you have with the person when we're at the mass, we're focusing on the presence of Jesus in the word and in the Eucharist. And while we're there experiencing that through the body of Christ as well, I, I don't, I probably couldn't think of more than a couple times ever that I've heard anybody address addiction from the altar. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the readings. We're talking about, you know, the Eucharist and those are wonderful things. I personally think, and this isn't a statement against anybody, but as somebody who works for the church, I think that we could mention that and other issues more often, you know, and it doesn't have to be in your face all the time. Um, and maybe, uh, you know, put up a plan throughout the year, a time maybe where we're going to discuss addiction and put up a good display in the back or make, make um, some churches do have those, I think they're called care notes or something. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. you can pick up care notes about these things and you don't realize how many people are standing in the back of church checking out those things. So those are little things that we could do. Um, I love retreat work though, because if you can get people sort of in a, in a setting where they feel safe. Sometimes it's just talking about it. You've just been hiding. Um, The unfortunate part is sometimes when you're willing to talk about people's brokenness, whether it's related to addiction or abuse or whatever else, it can make people feel incredibly uncomfortable, (laughs) (laughs) especially if they've never had that experience. And so what I say when we are talking about those things is, you know what, if you've never had these experiences, then be educated today. Be educated. Look at your surroundings and see how many people look like they are about to cry right now. (laughs) How many people are going up for prayer after? This is all around us. And you might have the privilege of not having experienced this, but it doesn't mean that you can't prepare yourself for what we could do for people. And I think it is important to look to the church, um, but unfortunately, some people only look to the church for that support. And I have heard instances where people have been given messages of, stay in that situation, be faithful to God. I knew this lady that her husband, uh, you know, abused her, but because of her faithfulness, you know, eventually he got better. Well, some people die. Some people get killed in these situations. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so we have to be careful. This isn't just a cross to bear. This is sometimes you know, a call to action, Um, not just for your family, but for your generations. Like, I'm super excited about the healing and recovery that I've had in my life. And I've taken it to the next step like everybody else does and or should to share the message of recovery and healthy relationships and things like that with my children. You know, and when they were little, I'd say, what game are you playing right now when they were acting up towards me? And, and a kid would go spotlighting and I go, you know, what does that mean? Well, I'm taking the focus off me and putting it on you. And, and we grew up, you know, and that's part of why I do a blog and why I'm working on a parenting book right now. I'm not an expert, but we share our experience, strength and hope in our 12 step programs. And that's what I want it to be. Because little things can teach our kids. We don't have to even we don't have to make them feel bad. Just when they're telling us about situations in their life, we can say, well, how could we deal with this in a healthy way? Is this a person we need in our lives? And and those are tough decisions, but they have to be made.
0: Well, and that's what I wanted to talk to you about as well, in terms of, you know, obviously you understand the toll an addiction can take on a family. So how can children be helped when they see a loved one suffering from an addiction?
1: Well, I I addressed it on all fronts with my kids, every way possible. Um, But I think we have to be very careful because what I see happening a lot in families is we sweep things under the rug of resiliency. Kids are not resilient. That's what I believe. Children are not resilient. They are unable to cognitively process trauma until they get older. Whether you're talking about death which we've unfortunately had to deal with, Um, addiction, um, just traumatic experiences that any kid might encounter out in the world. It happens and they don't understand what it means. And kids internalize so much. And there is that level of if my parent or so-and-so, especially my parent, though, loved me, why would they choose alcohol over me? And that's just not true, but they don't know that. Right. You know, they don't know. They're grieving and they don't know what to do with it. So you got to give them stuff to do with it. Um, We went to anger management support groups. Um, They all went to therapy. Whether they liked it or not, unfortunately. And fortunately, we had counselors who were willing to just play cards and try to get whatever they could out of them (laughs) when they were too angry to talk about it. And on that note, I'll say you have to let kids be kids. You know, you have to, the three things that I found my kids needed the most were safety, stability, and structure. We do normal things, whether we're grieving or whether we're hurting right now. We get up every day. We take care of ourselves. Um, We talk about things when we need to. And the hard part about being a parent in that situation is that your process is not your own. If I'm feeling good today about where I am in my recovery process, whether it was before or after his death, my kid may not be. Mm -hmm. And I got to let them have that space to come to me and do it, which means that I have to practice incredibly good self-care. I got to go to meetings and I still do now. And it's been uh, I started going to meetings uh, 15 years ago. Um, I, I mainly do Al-Anon now because that's what, I feel like that's what helps me structure myself the best. And I'm still working on me. I'm, there's always going to be things I got to work on in me. But I had to go to meetings. I had to have a sponsor that I could call and talk to about stuff. I had a parenting coach at one point who also was an addiction specialist. And we talked about strategies. And um, one of the things for me that was super powerful in my healing process was People who struggle with codependency tend to take everything personally. And what I learned is people who hurt you typically don't care about you or think about you at all. So that was helpful information for me. <laughs> yeah, I, It's very absolutely. freeing. It's not in a negative way. <laughs> um, but with children, you can't take that stuff personally. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to own up to your part in whatever healthy way you can. Of Yes, this bad stuff happened and I was there. And you're upset with me because of my, you know, my presence in here and why was this going on and what, you know, whether it's real or perceived, you know, that's, that's what I say is it doesn't matter if it was a real experience or if it was the child's perception, we still have to validate what they're going through and whether they like it or not, we're going to, we're going to get help. We're going to be healthy. We're going to keep going through these channels. And I just had to learn how to stop taking it personally, and that was empowering. It was empowering. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me was realizing that, you know, I don't have any control over them. I'm not God. I can't fix them. What I can do for my children is not enable them. And if any of my children make the same mistakes that either of us made, it won't be because I helped them do it. And you just have to get used to being the bad guy sometimes. And I think I would assume that that would be very hard for
0: parents, especially in that situation, because I would imagine there would be a lot of guilt, um, just not, you know, maybe the sense of, oh, well, you know, we need to over coddle the children because, you know, or let them do what they want because, you know, they've been experiencing, you know,
1: you know, my spouse who is an addict. I mean, is that, does oh, that sound familiar? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I know that song very well. Yeah. No, for years I struggled with that. And, and there's times that I know that I still do. And thank mm-hmm. God for, for your kids. Cause they will tell you, listen to your children. They're going to tell you what's wrong with you. Be humble enough to listen, especially the older kids to the younger kids, you know, they'll say, Hey, you would have never let us do that. <laughs> there's a lot of that going on in my life right now because they're all teenagers and that. But um, but yeah, you go through that stage of, you know, I, I can't expect a lot. They've been through a lot. But I, maybe it's just because, you know, we were in such a desperate situation. I really didn't have the liberty to to fudge on stuff a lot. Like I had to deal with it. When you have five, you cannot afford to do the wrong thing. And there's a, there's a lot of pressure that goes with that. Um, there's a lot of tendency to really, um, turn that anger inward on myself. Like, man, like these mistakes, but that's why you stay outside of yourself. That's why you get to programs. So that's why you have people to hold you accountable in your life. I literally have a team of accountability partners and I call them still, um, I have a lot of sons. Um, and so I had dads in recovery that I would say, Hey, you know, we do same gender on sponsors and and accountability partners, but I'd say, I need, would you be my accountability partner just on dad issues? Can I just call you when these boys are trying to get the best of me and I've never lost a wrestling match? That's important for you all to know right now, because then they'd all think that they could win. But no, seriously, I I put humor in there because, you know, this can Mm -hmm. seem like a heavy topic, but, um, but yeah, you have to get away from that. You have to give structure and that's in any family. I truly believe whatever I'm, you know, the things that I'm writing, Right now, that I'm going to share this year about parenting, they're good for any situation. You know, whether you have chemical addiction or just basic issues, you know, we've got to give our kids some standards to live by. They've got to be reasonable. Um, And we have to teach them how to be healthy because. There's not a lot of people out there being super healthy right now. I don't know right. if you've noticed that. <laughs> it's available to you every day. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I tell myself is alcoholism doesn't die. You know, in the program it says it's a family addiction. Um, it's a family disease. And it didn't die after he died. We have to kill it every day still. And, you know, it's we don't live under the oppression of it. But it is important to have the awareness. And that's why I continue to stay in programs so I can keep working on myself and make sure I'm not falling into old patterns and that I'm not letting my relationship with my kids get to an unhealthy or an enabling point in any area. And so this sounds like a lot, but but it really is living in freedom and loving myself.
0: Well, when was that turning point for you where you really wanted to, or that you realized that you need to go to Al-Anon or really wanted to, you know, be a part of a, a program?
1: <sighs> um, when that situation that we were living in in the hospital, I realized that if I didn't find something bigger than myself and bigger than the situation that we were in, that I don't know what I would have done. I mean, I was hanging on for my children, I was literally trying to keep my husband alive every day because in regular hospitals, if you're not in ICU and you're in a bad situation, there's usually not the care. So the, I mean, it was around the clock. I could barely sleep. I was really, really broken at that time. And, um, you know, it just, I panicked. I, there was just, I lived in a panic and it was like, no, I, I've got to get help. But the, with every meeting you realize like, we're not here to fix anybody I've got to work on myself. And it's that same analogy of, you know, like you're on the airplane and when the masks fall down, when there's not enough oxygen, put yours on first. You really can't lead somebody where you haven't been. You really can't help somebody when you're not able to help yourself. And that's the lie that we believe in codependency is that I can continue to function normally and hold all these people together. It's going to be fine. In fact, some of the literature calls it magical thinking. Mm. And it was magical thinking for me that all this is going to get better somehow magically. But we don't have to make these drastic changes. Like it's going to be fine. And that was not the case. And throughout the last several years of his life, um, we were together. We were apart. He did a long-term rehab. Um, That had never happened before. So we tried it again. He relapsed in the last couple years of his life. We weren't able to be together. And you know, his mind had deteriorated to that point where he wasn't really safe to have around children. And I knew because of his addiction and how severe it was, and maybe not everybody's is, but um, as long as I was in the picture, he was going to die. When I was around, he wanted to go back into that holding pattern of, I'm going to take care of everything. And it was an incredibly difficult decision the day that I had to tell him, we all love you, but it's time for you to go. And I knew what steps to take because we had been through that before. I called his family. I called a rehab that was willing to take him. Um, There is an ordinance in Little Rock that if someone is um, consuming alcohol on your property and refuses to leave, they can be peacefully removed by law enforcement. As long as they're able to do it peacefully, it'll stay that way. And, uh, you know, and just told the kids we're... This is what's gonna happen. This is, you know, these are the changes we're gonna to need to make and we're gonna be okay. Because at that point, I'd been in a program for several years, but he was not willing to do that for himself. And so the, the recovery that he was able to to obtain through his long-term rehab and staying on as an intern and going through step studies, it didn't last. It's not a one and you're done. Some of us need to stay in recovery for all of our lives, at least for seasons. Um, and if you have been to that, to death's door with addiction, and I say this because I get this question from people. Um, <clears throat> if someone is coming that close to death's door, it's not going to just get better. Mm-hmm. It's not going to just get better. And they're not going to be able to go to a recovery program. Most likely, there's somebody out there saying, well, mine did. Good for <laughs> you. Congratulations. <laughs> right. But yeah. most people who are that ad- advanced, in the stages of addiction are not going to be able to go to rehab for a month. They're going to need to go for nine months or 12 months or 15 months or two years. Um, And they're going to need something to, they're going to have to learn how to live again. And that's the bottom line for all of us. I had to learn how to live again. And I have these wonderful communities to do it in and so much support for me and my children. I will be forever grateful to everyone who gave to us and I feel like a miracle and my family feels like a miracle. And when I see people who are still breathing (laughs) and have the opportunity while they're alive to stop being an addict, I want that for them so badly. And when I see people who have recovered or in recovery, it is truly a miracle and it's available to all of us every day. But we got to start somewhere and we can't, we don't need to wait and gamble like that, you know, just wishing it's going to get better.
0: Well, and off of that, what would you say to someone, you know, who might be listening to this and really just kind of sees themselves in your story? I mean, I know our journeys are all different, but then again,
1: well, there is that universal theme, you know, whether it is pornography or chemical substance or people, you know, there's a wound that started for all of us somewhere. And acceptance is such a big part of this process. Sometimes it's merely the lack of acceptance of what's happened to each of us. And I am saying this to the person out there who can't figure out where to get started. Sometimes it's the acceptance of the the hurts and, and um, wounds that happened when we were young or being able to forgive the people who hurt us or forgive ourselves for the mistakes that we've made. And it's so important to just stop where you are right now. Invite the Holy Spirit to come in with you and inspire you with whatever that wound is, or inspire you with the truth that you need that might help you to, you know, set you free in some way, to be willing to step outside of that trauma or that situation and get help. But it's just important that we do it today. I would say to somebody, if I could go back and I don't live in Chittakota Woodas. Who knows how it would have turned out if I got help earlier in life. I don't know. I didn't.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it's okay
1: that I didn't. I wasn't able to receive it. Help was available and I wasn't able to receive it. Um, So where you are is okay. Um, we don't have to wish that we're in some other situation right now. God is where you are. He's never left you. He's not going to leave you. even though other people may have rejected you or you know spoken negative things over you and your failures or your current addictions or whatever, God's never done any of that. And sometimes we allow that to to block us from God because some person hurt me or, or I'm the person who's blocking me because God could never forgive me. But today's the day to get help and help is literally everywhere. We probably have more help available than any time in human history right now, more knowledge, more support, more programs, um, you know, find a program, reach out to somebody, but you, it's, you know, every, there's not one answer for everyone. And in fact, in Al-Anon, we say there are no must. <laughs> you have to find your own. Um, but by listening to other people's stories, and maybe you could get started that way. There are testimonies online. My testimonies online. Um, there are programs online. Start listening to those stories. They ask you in both of the programs, if you might be willing to commit to six meetings. In, in Al-Anon and AA, if you'd be willing to commit to six meetings before you make a decision about whether or not you want to be part of this program, they have a special message for you waiting there um, that they will read you at the beginning of the meeting and, and help you to understand that we're, nobody's an expert. We're just all people who have this same type of struggle, and we're willing to walk with you on this journey. You don't have to do this alone. That, that's the problem is we get isolated and we get stuck in our heads, and, and all kinds of sickness goes on there. But today's the day to get help before it's too late or before you pass it on to your children. Um, you know, but in, we can bring healing to our families, but it's got to start with us first. Let it begin with me is a huge statement that we use, a little slogan or motto or mantra that we use in Al-Anon. Let it begin with me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Well, and tell, tell us again, you had mentioned that you have a blog and just other do, resources. Yeah. So Yeah.
1: Yeah, I have a blog. It's kind of a hodgepodge, really, but I I used to, I can be a real perfectionist, but I was like, nope, it's just me. It's just me being who I am, and that's all I want in life is just to be who God created me to be. St. Teresa of Avila said, you can set the world on fire that way. So that's what I want to do, just be myself. Um, And so it's called jesusbackwards.wordpress.com. And on there, I write about life, parenting, um, 12-step issues. Um, and I've even put in um, a little liturgy section. Everything sort of cross-mingles, you know, because it's... <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, it's about life. I, you it know? is. I mean, it's life cross yeah. <laughs> yeah. And being someone who works for the church, like, it is very important to know how to have healthy relationships with people and know where to draw your boundaries. That's such an important thing. So mm-hmm. I write about those things. Sometimes there's some things about music or prayer on there, too. Um, yeah. And then on my Facebook page... Um, I do videos um, sometimes after I go to 12-step meetings. Um, And just talk about issues that we have there and kind of apply it to life. I'm a real rubber meets the road kind of person, you know, like I like the practical part. I'm an exhorter. I'm not a teacher. Um, So (laughs) I just kind of share from my heart, you know, where I am right now and and give people the opportunity to kind of share. And so um, that's kind of something I've gotten into recently is doing the videos more. I I think my self-esteem was struggling for a while, but I've let it go. And it's just like, you know what? Um, it brings people to the doorstep sometimes and, they, and it allows them to feel like they can talk about it too.
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. And so, your name would not
1: be hard to find on Facebook. It would not. <laughs> it is Susa Thompson. <laughs> but a lot of people spell Jesus backwards, S-E-S-U-J, and that's really? not it. <laughs> it is
0: not it. That's not
1: it. That's Sisuge or something. I don't yeah. know. But yeah, you can find me on Facebook. At some point I might turn it into a page page, but so far I haven't. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, but I'm happy to share about it because people need to hear it. You know, mm-hmm. some people might be sick of hearing it. But they're <laughs> obviously not my target audience. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, I do think, and as we've talked about, I mean, it's not something
0: that is really, I think it's still kind of taboo. I mean, people don't really put it out in the open. They don't yeah. really want to put their struggles out there. Yes. But, you know, it is important, as you said, to really, you know, fo- face that yeah. focus. So
1: It's a life or death situation for some people. So yeah. for people like me, maybe not other people, and that's okay, I feel it's important to share that. But I spend a lot of time with people at retreats um and get to hear about the suicidal struggles and and the self-harm issues and really see people in very dark situations on a regular basis. So that's why I'm so free about it. It's not like, oh, here she wants to talk about it again. No, it's not that. I feel like it's unfair because it was other people's stories that set me free. And so now it's just my turn. That's the the last step as I've shared this message with others. And that's how I keep my recovery. That's how we all keep our recovery is by sharing our message with other people.
0: Well, and we're very blessed that you shared your message with our listeners today. (laughs) I mean, I think that that's really going to make a difference. And, you know, I want to thank you for your honesty and your insight. You know, I know this is obviously a deeply personal issue, um, even though you do share it, but it's still, it's still deeply personal. Um, So I hope that those that are listening and might be struggling right now with, you know, a loved one who is addicted, that they really find the grace and support to get help. And, uh we end each of our podcasts with a prayer pertaining to the day's topic. So Susa, I know you've brought the full serenity prayer. So let's go ahead and and make time for prayer.
1: Thank you. Um, I love the serenity prayer because at the beginning of it that we say at at, at AA and Al-Anon is open to everyone. God is my higher power, however you see that. And that's important. We all, that's part of our recovery process. But through going through Celebrate Recovery, we regularly, regularly prayed the full serenity prayer. So I just wanted to share that today. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and the next. Amen. Amen. Well, thank
0: you again, Susa, and I just want to remind all our listeners to remember to like and subscribe to our Arkansas Catholic Ask podcast and follow Arkansas Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, arkansas-catholic.org. And you could subscribe to our print edition to support our ministry or subscribe to our free digital edition through our website. And be sure to check back for future episodes of Arkansas Catholic Asks.